This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Charles Gannon. Great to be back, folks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Okay, so our sponsor, we have a sponsor now. We have a sponsor. I don't know if you know that, but we have a sponsor. She's sober right now, but later she'll have trouble trying to pronounce it. Listen, I'm going to get through this in the initial part. I'm really good at the initial. They know who I am. It's fine. Skunk Brothers Spirits. So they're a veteran-owned, brother-owned distillery. And this is called Sweet Apple Pie. Ooh, I What's just opened of? it and it's apple brandy with spices and natural flavor. So if it's anything like their cinnamon blueberry, I'm going to just drink this whole bottle while we're on the podcast. Uh, Val, <laughs> what are you drinking? Okay, so a friend of mine keeps getting me these and I'm finally cracking them open. And this is a cherry Bakewell tart and it comes with... You take three of the little liquor bottles and mix them together. And so this is a white chocolate liquor, an amaretto liquor, and a black cherry rum together. So very cool. I've never had a cherry blackwell tart, but apparently it's supposed to taste like one. I have no idea. Okay, good. Well, I'm so glad that you're... It's strong. Who is this actually? It's really good. I don't know what the proof is on this one. Well, yeah, because last time you had one of these. Oh, it's 85 proof. It's fine. <laughs> it's 5% higher than last time. It's okay. Yeah. Erica's going to be slurring by the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to mess up the name. I like coming here to watch and listen to you guys. I mean, I, I the, the show is in, a de- is in a decline the moment I start talking. Uh, but at any rate, I'll get my... I'll get mine done, which is Wilderness Trail, uh, single barrel, Kentucky, Kentucky straight whiskey, 100 proof uh, bourbon. Um, it's a, I am kind of picky about my bourbons. I, I, I don't drink much. I'm diabetic too. So bourbon is actually one of the two things that you that has the least lauric impact, glycemic Ooh. impact, um, which I did not know before I became diabetic. Um, and uh, this one is a, a really good one for those who are also bourbon drinkers. Uh, one of the reasons I'm drinking this one uh, and have it is because it is somewhat reminiscent of Knob Creek. It doesn't have quite as many maple tones as Knob Creek, but it has some of them and it's just a fine, uh, fine bourbon in my opinion. I like Knob Creek. I, I enjoy Knob Creek. And you're drinking it out of- uh, I am drinking it out of- You're drinking with authors shot cup well it's actually more like a jigger isn't it this is this is bigger than a single shot this is yeah. uh if you're yeah, doing shots like this you know the bottom line is you you won't do as many as you normally do and uh, you know they'll be uh they'll be uh stopping you on the highway or at the door as the case may be so that's yeah, what i'm or- drinking along with an inevitable side of whatever is in the mystery cup which is as boring as water or so i am saying and i am sticking to that story I would stick to that story. This, by the way, the sweet apple pie is really, really good. It's really, really strong, though. So, a little eyes watering situation happening right now. <laughs> um, Chuck, you have a new book coming out. What is? I have a new, new book, book out. out. I have a oh, new out. book out. It's out. Been out for a while. It is. Talk about it. This one. Ooh, this broken world. world. This is actually, it's, it's not in, uh, this is an arc. That's why it's, uh, it's shiny and flexible because it's actually a hardcover, but I don't have one in, uh, in, easy, in easy reach. So that will, that will have to do for now. It is an, an epic fantasy with a variety of what I would call slipstream elements. It is not like any epic fantasy you have read. Ooh. I not only I not only thought that to be the case, but then I've had lots of people say, I really like this, but it's really different. They like the way it's different, but um, it is different. It has and, and part of it is because it is it is both an homage and um, and and more than a few 
uh, fond jabs in the ribs of many fantasy tropes. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a section where our, our hero reflects on the fact that because he was sort of orphaned at age nine or 10, he, he basically says, what is it about orphans? Do you have to be one? You know, it, it's like, maybe, maybe I will be a hero because I'm an orphan and all the others are. You know? Oh my God. So I'm assuming you set out to do that, obviously. Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. What made you decide to do that? You know, that's a good question. Um, good questions, but that one, most questions uh, I have answered some species of before and you would think that I had a ready answer for this one, but I don't because it's kind of a, um, the answer is a little bit polyglot. Um, it is, uh, uh, part of it was because I thought it was the best way to, uh, to, to proceed with this particular novel because it's connecting, it's going to connect to a number of other things that I'm, I, I have worked on or in the works. And um, I, I won't say more than that, except to say that I tend to think in, in, terms, of, in terms of large projects. Uh, that doesn't mean, I mean, the book is no slouch either coming in at like 200, 3,000 words or something like that. But, uh, but I've written longer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, take that as a promise or, or a warning, as you will. Um, and uh, so, I, so this was the best way to approach this in knowing it was going to fit into this larger scheme was both serious, but also with a variety of elements in it that sort of showed that from the from the authorial standpoint, um, I, I know I am working in um, a, a lot of what I pull is well-known material. That's actually one I kind of considered the issue of genre. And I actually think this is a little more true in, um, in fantasy than it is in hard SF. I think, I, in other yeah. words, you say, you say epic fantasy, bang, things come to mind, right? Probably anything, um, anything ranging from uh, from uh, um, uh, God. Why can't I, I want to say yeah, um, Tolkien? I'm gonna throw that out. Well, Tolkien, absolutely. But then um, classic hero's journey, uh, hero's you know. journey. But also um, a sort of um, there's a kind of uh, political groundedness in a lot of it. And what I mean by that is is that even although Middle Earth has nothing to do with our world, it uh, the relationships between peoples, the relationships between different times in a single culture, um, all play a someplace between significant to crucial role in the story and the outcomes. Um, whereas when I think of high fantasy, um, it, a lot less so or not at all, you know, sort of the way I think of that. Um, and uh, so this is this is very much more in the epic fantasy um, uh, bailiwick, or, or, or I would say that that circle on the Venn diagram. But it's got some other things in it which will not feel exactly like that. And um, and that's uh, I, I can't say a lot more than that. I, I will ask. I will hope people will read it. It's a bit of a departure and find out. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a departure for me in that it. It is third person, which is what I normally do. Um, but I've also done some first person recently uh, doing the Black Sky, uh, the uh, Black Tide Rising novel set in John, uh, John Ringo's universe, which was all first person journal. So what I did here was that each section of the book and sometimes at intervals also, but usually at each, at the launch of each part of the book, we get a, um, a journal entry from our protagonist which is fun for me because his first journal entry is nine. And so he, at, at some point, he tries to spell things. And I had, I had huge fun with this, um, with, he, he'll say, we're about to go on a journey. He tries to spell journey. He tries three times, crosses each one out and ultimately is trip. So, you know, <laughs> so that's, I had some I had some fun with that, which I which is also part of from a narrative standpoint, me trying to suggest that although there are a lot of very serious topics in the novel and there's some outright tragedy, um, 
I wanted it not to be, I wanted to set this aside from my hard SF work in which I take a, a, I take a very distant narrative perspective. I don't mean to say um, detached, but for me, if hard SF lives in the idea of, can you believe it, right? Right. And otherwise don't bother with the hard. You know, just to, to go go into SF, and if you find yourself in space opera, you know, just remember what Edna Mode says still pertains. No capes. Um, but at any rate, the, one of the things that I do there is I'm very, very conscious of uh, my voice is not character in a hard SF novel. I am there to be a, a non-intrusive narrator that is more in the order of not even bearing witness. More like, what if there were drones every place you needed them and occasionally inside the heads of people? But that's really as far as I go. Um, poetry is difficult to do in the language. Um, and I, 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 I love playing with language and I love uh, putting in more euphony. That was one of the things that I was able to do in this. Um, it gave me the freedom to do so. It's, that's kind of the epic fantasy vibe. The language as well as as the as the sort of the the perspective of the narrator, so it gave me a little more room, and I like that. And part of what I did with that, therefore, is I used this journal thing, and I I wanted to let people know that yeah, there's a there's there's a, there's a protagonist here who is is actually he's as the English say he's taking the Mickey with himself, um, you know, chiding himself at various points, and that's going to be important because there's a tone change as the series progresses. And this was where I wanted to start because it makes the contrast with where we wind up that much stronger. See, ask a simple question, get an interminable <laughs> answer. I thoroughly no. enjoyed interviewing you for that reason, so. Right, and it was one of the thoughts I had that came in mind, one of the reasons why I like writing fantasy and reading fantasy is that there is this, unlike hard science fiction, there's this, level of that the story is self-aware a little bit and that mm -hmm. little bit of humor comes to the surface and I think it's important in fantasy because it gives the reader a chance to take a breath before we dive heavy back into whatever mm -hmm. is unfolding no matter nice how far we go. Yeah. Uh, oh my as, gosh as... Val, you and your drink made a good point. I'm really impressed by you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yes, yes. I'm very intelligent on Blackwell tarts. <laughs> Drink more. Uh, <laughs> don't say that to her. She's a real lightweight. No. I'm just warning you. This is the only time I drink, so this this goes south really fast. <laughs> okay, so in other words, if you fall sideways out of out of frame, we don't need to call the EMT, but maybe an intervention group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Drinking with authors drives people. Wait, no, we're not going there. Okay. So that's exciting. This is very exciting. And I love the layers because I think that's really fascinating. The layers that you're talking about, because I think for sometimes authors, it's very hard to even get through the layer of the book they're writing versus the series they're writing and where they mm -hmm. want to take that series. And how do they do that? Did you? So when you were last on the podcast, I don't know if we talked about this, but how big of a world book do you build for like this series and its connection to your other series or is it all in your head? Oh, no, no, no. I can't keep all that in my head. Um, I'm a bear of little brain. Um, but what I do, this is kind of interesting because I had this project kicking around in my head longer. In it. I had both projects, the the Canary uh, Orden series, the Hard SF series, and this one, kicking around inside my head. But this one was closer to the sh when I was like thirteen. Um, Whoa! Suffice to say, I'm not thirteen anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, too too much longer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lap that on the uh, a fifth time you know so at any rate um <laughs> but the the thing is this one actually preserves more of the shapes i was seeing at that time and then i put it aside because uh, well just a bunch of reasons um i i there's 
The groundedness of hard SF allows you to uh, make observations on the world without becoming, uh, just offering them, without passing comment or judgment on them, which was, which was something that was, was important to me. I mean, God knows there's a lot of hard SF that does, but I always kind of feel that that would also be a contrivance. Um, I, uh, for instance, do, is there, hmm, I don't, I can, I can talk about bigotry and my science fiction books later on, <laughs> if you want, but, um, but, but it depends how much more of that tart you drink, I suppose. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's more coming. There's more okay. coming. I'm opening okay. it again. I only poured but, a little um, So, so, um, I'm going to ask you to toss me that question again because I got off as one does on a tangent, at least as I do. <laughs> no, she does. No, I'm going back. I'm going back. I can get there. I would, it's World Book. The question was uh, the World Book. Yes, yes, yes. How big is your World Book? How deep is Wow, that's, I can hear the tape rewinding. I really could. It was a very, and in backwards, yes. Backwards, it says drink more apple pie. Um, but at any rate, <laughs> it's, it's either that or satanic rituals. Um, so uh, the, the world book on this was really, it was really pretty big. The, the biggest challenge here was not creating new things so much as it was saying, because like I said, I kept a lot of what was from my teenage years. And I took a look at it and I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is, this was at that age, you're still, I think, as a, as a, a young author in both experience and age, there's a lot of imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And at mm -hmm. the same time, I'm, you know, it's 1975, 76, 78, Dungeons and Dragons is, is sort of simultaneously the thing that no one will admit to doing but is this sort of underground cultural wave that anybody under the age of 18 and and the, the the age increased as that advanced was taking place all around us so all these things are sort of i can look at the quote my world book and say wow i see some very interesting influences thanks two-thirds of this is gone or is significantly reinvented to be fresh um, but that part that I talked about that it's serious and it's a, it's sort of a slipstream, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, an homage, but also sort of a, a tongue in cheek nod to the, some of these tropes that we've seen. They, what I was able to keep was a lot of stuff that I might've been serious about then is now that sort of, you know, poke in the ribs. And all I had to do was instead of make it freighted with great Wagnerian significance, it was sort of like, and yeah, you know, it was so, but the, but the same stuff was there. And it was kind of an interesting time capsule for me to see what I took so seriously back then um, and what I don't take seriously now. Uh, although I will say that between the mid seventies and now our entire genre, epic fantasy itself has put itself on the map in certain indelible ways, inescapable ways, that I think that has a, that has also, if I had been revising this 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have felt that so many of the tropes needed to be nodded, nodded at in, in a sort of waggish way, saying, yeah, yeah, and there's this thing too. We, we all know that's here. It's gotta be here. It's epic fantasy, har, har, har. But I think that between, you know, the, the, the enduring publication of Tolkien and uh, I think the rediscovery in, after Tolkien of a lot of the swords and sorcery stuff like, like Robert E. Howard and Fritz Lieber and all of this sort of stuff. And then, of course, they're turned into movies. And now, even if you weren't inclined to read, you have these, in some cases, three hour long images burned into both your conscious and your subconscious mind. So it's, um, this is very much an exercise that is bounded by the times in, in which it, from which it originated and over which it marinated. I think it's fascinating that, so I wrote some stuff, Val wrote some stuff. We, we actually publish it under a, um, 
uh, an anthology called Teen Angst, some of our stuff, and it's just... <laughs> I'll bet uh, that's truth in advertising. It is so truth in advertising. You know, those poems so of the broken angry. heart we had when we were 14 years, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I think it's fascinating, though, because I re-looked at, for these anthologies, my stuff from back when I was a teenager writing stuff, and other than the irony of putting it into this anthology, you know, a dark stormy night. Let me just say one of them starts with that. Hashtag one of my favorites. But um, I could not even imagine touching these stories again. Like, I, I feel like I'm such in a different place as an author. And also, honestly, those were fantasy genre. And I don't write fantasy stories nowadays. I write erotica stories or horror stories. So how, how did you go there? Because I don't think a lot of authors can go there. Like, and really I'm go, actually, there's something here that I'm going to do something with other than put myself up for pure irony. And I'm curious of this answer because a lot of the ideas and novels I write about, I have sketchbooks from high school that I'm pulling notes out of. And, and it is, you have to, now that you know more about the difference between writing for fun and writing professionally and and you understand the genre you understand what you were trying to do and what you should have done to get it to that point uh yeah yeah 13 year old version of yourself has great ideas fresh ideas but at the same point you're like oh baby no We can't do that. Uh, so to, to answer to answer that, uh, first of all, remember, you asked me about the world book, Bible. You were not asking me about the story. What survived was the Bible. What did not survive were the stories. The story, the, but, but the protagonist did. The concept of the protagonist was, um, is, um, I would say when at least I, I see, I don't see many, 15, 14 year old males who in the course of writing their fiction are not working out to some extent or exploring with uh, issues of uh, validity, capability, uh, you know, all, all of the, all of the roles that are being, are, are being, you know, you're being bombarded with, um, find their way into the work because at 15, I almost think it might not be, if you have already largely dealt with those in a mature fashion, you have probably lived through an incredible crisis because that is generally, I would say the result of, of necessity, not normative maturity. Um, and probably there are, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You're gonna, what, whatever allowed that hypertrophied maturity to come to the fore, there's probably a cost back on down the line, which of course is usually what we see with people who've had those sort of uh, pre-adultifying traumas. Um, so in this case, what I really kept was the world and, the, and some of the conceits of the world. And, uh, and it, I discovered it fit in with a lot of other things that I've been thinking about and writing. Um, and uh, I just needed to find the way to fit it in. And it was in the course of working on my other series that I did find that way. And the, the character is very much, um, uh, he, he's a little, <laughs> he's not hapless. He's quite, he's, he's actually a fairly competent individual. But an example of things that look funny, but turn out not to be funny, is that he, he grows up and you know, we hear about his early, early years as a child well, no, we, you know, it's not like, and here's Drew Dane in the crib. We don't, we don't do that. But uh, we do meet him shortly, but the first time he goes to a big city, which he can't distinguish the machines from the magic because he's expecting a lot of magic, but he sees more machines and he finds that surprising, which right away, uh, I'm a real believer, hide one of the big reveals in the first scene. Because the first scene, you, you have the, you have the advantage of the, the reader, if you're doing a good enough job and you're pulling them in, they, it's sort of like that first taste of, 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 of a dish or that first time you go into a, um, a museum and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and, and you will miss details. You will miss perhaps nuances that on your way out, you say, oh, you know, 
I didn't even realize the importance of that painting there until we got to the end of the gallery. And now it's sort of like, these are bookends. Okay, cool. But so the first scenes with him are very important and they start out as kind of funny. He's the, he's the kid who's, we, see, we learn he's bright. Uh, we learn he has parents who are uh, very loving, very different. It's not exactly sh clear what they do. They live on a farm, but everybody considers them lousy farmers. And they only have enough to really, as like a, a, a cottage farm. Um, but they, they have money anyhow. So before you think that they're members of the fantasy mafia, um, which, which they're not exactly, um, this, is, this is how we get introduced to him. And even, even in his loss, so he wants to, he, when he loses his parents and he says, I, you know, I wanna be, be what my dad thought I could be, which he doesn't really remember quite accurately because he remembers, he remembers language through the lens of him being eight. So he thinks dad wanted me to be, uh, you know, and, and I want to be a member of the, of the Legion and I want to go forward and I want to defend and maybe one day I'll be the, the emperor and they keep on correcting him. No, it's the, the, the um, propertor, propertor princes. He, he, uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember what he, what he calls them, but he, he, gets, he gets language wrong on, on comical occasions. Um, and, and when he finally gets his assignment, after he's been sort of mentored along by the by a, a quasi a quasi mentor fostered aunt etc sort of thing, he gets and he's he's scored the highest in everything the highest in everything in some cases setting records that they that, you know since they were keeping records, and he looks at it and he says, I'm I'm gonna be because he's been working in a library, and he knows that that one of the the, the coolest job you can have in the library other than his own is to be a courier, which is to go to other places on this planet and bring back. And he's, he's expecting to be, you know, one of, the, one of the prime candidates for the Legion. He says, I'm gonna be a courier, a junior assistant courier. That's what I'm going. And, and he's, you know, he's livid. Um, but by the end of the novel, you know very well why he was made a courier and why he was made things after that. And it's one of the things, so talking about layers, um, one of the things that I wanted to do with this, which is, which is hardly original, but that there's more than meets the eye in terms of why he starts where he starts, which of course is, uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to borrow the Luke Skywalker theme from, from Star Wars, because it turns out, of course, he's anything but a simple farm boy. Um, but, but this idea that you are, in, in that case, you know, personal preservation of him was probably more important than greater machinations of forces that be. But in the case of this protagonist, um, he, was, he was one, not a huge piece, but he was a piece caught up in a much bigger game. And so that becomes evident as the story goes on. Very good. And so, so to answer your question, uh, I didn't keep, all of that was new. That was not the story I had in mind when I was 15, but the world in which it takes place and the power groups and what they're after and why they're concerned with what they are did not change. For instance, um, he comes from, they're apparently humans, but they live three or four times longer than other humans. And they have a, a, a considerable physical, physical oddity, um, which is actually more observed in the women obviously more observed in the women, uh, they do not menstruate once a month. They menstruate once a year. Hmm. When you think about what long life means and the stability or the instability or the flexibility of family patterns, I mean, you know, most people, there's, there's, a, there's a point in the book where one says, who comes from another sort of uh, group or species that lives a, a longer life, says, you know, you know, one, one is saying, I believe in true love and, and the other one saying, yeah, you believe in true love, your species, which after 30 years, you're lucky if, if you're, if your married pairs aren't trying to kill each other. Of course, they had to be more fluid about this because they live potentially 200 years, maybe 300 years. So one of the things that's in the book that I guess you could say is part of that slipstream is you could say, well, isn't that convenient that in, if you're going to live that long, that, that women only menstruate once a year? Or is it? 
just convenience. Look at so. how many layers. We have the layers and we have layers alcohol. And layers and layers. 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 It's like an onion. <laughs> like, like a, a what? An no, onion. Like an onion. Oh, an onion. I, said an like onion. I was like, is that a drink I haven't had yet? An onion? No. Oh my God. Nobody needs that. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with your canvas. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. The person, that's like the response from the person who finds himself on the space shuttle unexpectedly. Good for one. I'm good. Uh, sure. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Sure. I yeah. totally was supposed to be here. I like this candle. You can tell when Valerie's been drinking is because her octaves change dramatically in the ah. that she's giving us. If she tries to answer right now, it's going to happen again, too. <laughs> No, yes, we're good. We're good to continue. Yeah. Right. Continue. Oh my gosh, you're flushed. I love everything about it. No, what's I'm looking at now. this cup and I'm like, I should switch to the water now. I've only had Oh yes. Cup. Yes, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So that's Let's amazing. Eat. But talk to us about what has happened for you since besides the book, obviously, since last we spoke. How has it been with the uh have you done conventions or anything like that? Uh, you know, I think I'm trying to think when we last spoke. Was it about March of last year? I could actually look this up. I have I have history. I have, I'm where the history comes from. I can look it up. But I know it's been a little bit. I know no. that um, the world kind of ended when last we talked, right? Yes, yes. Because um, that's what happens. Let me see here. Um, maybe it was fall of, uh, of 2020. It was, but, um, actually it was June of 2021. 2021. So not that, not that long ago. It's not that far. It hasn't been a whole yeah. year yet. Yeah. Has anything interesting happened? Did you go to conventions at all? I know they opened back up. Some of us went and a lot of people were like, you know, I'm going to hard pass on that. So I went to I'm trying to think if I went to more than one. There's a local uh, convention in D.C. called uh, Capclave. So I went to Capclave uh, last October. I am trying to think if I have done any others. Oh, I was at um, I was a presenter uh, in November at uh, uh, 20 Books to 50K in Nevada. Okay. If you know, if you know that one. I do. Um, I do. I think it's a great I, I, great Facebook group for authors to follow. Yeah, it is. Um, and for anybody who wants to see me talk about world building and and run screaming from the room and wonder why you ever did, um, I did. Uh, that was one of the uh, that was one of the presentations that that I did um, there. I did I think about four or five. Uh, did did a, a sit down chat with Craig Martell. We had a we had a, we had a good time. Um, and I, I actually I think the most memorable thing for me was was. Uh, as I was thinking about what it was that, that links people who are predominantly in what I would call the indie and small press sphere, where you're going, you're selling a lot more electronic and you are probably only selling print if it's essentially a POD, you know, a POD call through, uh, yeah. through uh, uh, why can't I think about the thing that's 
starts with K, not Kendall, but oh God. The, the, are you are you talking about Ingram Sparks? No, I'm talking about the um, the 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 hard the the actual hard copy publication through um, or no, it's Lightning just source. No, forget it. I, I can't recall it right now. K E. Okay. No, I can't remember it. Anyhow, um, the thing that's that I find. You, you, I went there and I was struck by um, how different the, the trials and tribulations are of yeah. somebody who is in that field uh -huh. um, versus traditional. Um, for instance, in one of the, and, but these are, these are differences more in form than substance. And I'll return to that. And the, co the code word in case I, I wander as I so often do uh, is exhaustion. Um, and example, um, so you're you're doing um, your own press, or you're working through uh, through Amazon, and um, uh, you know you're in total control when you press the button, when you're actually going to release that. Um, but but the entire notion of when is it ready? the idea of how does any, how do I make sure that in this ever expanding sea, it's seen. If I get sales, how do I find enough time to keep on writing books, more books, more books, because velocity is an incredibly important part of that equation. And then on the back, you hear that little voice saying, but if I keep on writing books and if I keep on chasing my market, do I have enough time to advance my craft? Am I doing or, or or art or whatever you want to call it? It's a real challenge. On the traditional side, you have the idea of, well, you know, as soon as I get this done, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Except for you do, because now, first of all, if you have an agent, if you don't have an agent, you're going to probably need to get one of those. That door has to be navigated. And, and once it is, then the agent, hopefully, is going to send this around to the publishers except for when are they going to get to it? How long is that going to take? And so one is hurry up and wait. And the other one is you can never do it fast enough. But both of them produce what I called at that presentation, they have this in common, the exhaustion of hope. That, that hope continuing to, to remain constant to the dream and to do what you're doing and not give up in the face of either uncertainty or lack of recognition or lack of sales, or whatever, the, whatever the case is, it bears upon everybody in terms of hope, particularly people who haven't arrived at any kind of, um, I would say steady place in this, as a, in this as a profession. And I just, I remember sitting there and looking out at, at the people in the audience and I wasn't looking you know, for any reaction, but that clearly, as you, if you see it, struck a chord. Um, I, you know, this is a, it's wonderful to do this. Those are the two cons I've done, but it's always a lonely job. I mean, you, you, may, be, you may have characters in your head and word, worlds there that you'd be just as happy to inhabit, maybe happier than this one. But nonetheless, this is not something one does by committee. No, it's true. And I think that's where it's really vital to find um, your community. Yeah. Like we talk about that a lot on the podcast in finding even other authors that write your genre, local writing groups that are good. I, I warn against local critique groups because I feel like some people who just like to be shitty to people gravitate towards to critique groups, but just finding other people of like mind who can share some of the stories that you've gone through because I think what you're saying is so valuable and there's so many misses that we see. And I, you know, doing this, talking on the podcast, I talk to authors from you, best-selling authors down to, hi, I just published my first book ever myself on Kindle, you know, and I see to your point, a theme also that um, you can't do this by yourself completely. You really can't or shouldn't. I don't know what the right word is there to do it by yourself. And I think it's so important to find other people, not to help you write your book, not to do any of that, but to just be a person that is like-minded to you. 
knows what you're going through in some part of your trial or turbulation to go, you know what, it's okay, we're going to get through this and that's going to happen because it is exhausting. And you do run into stupid crap all the time. And it's not changing. Like I had an author on our podcast um, a few weeks ago and she had used a vanity press. Amazing story that she has. Brilliant writer. And because I looked up for, you know, I cyber stalk our guests, like not drunk. Most <laughs> <She> does. <laughs> I'm drunk some of the time, but whatever. I cyber stalk and she's a really good writer and she gave a vanity press five grand to put her book out and to do the cover. And I asked her a bunch of questions, not on the actual podcast. And she actually sent me an Instagram message and is like, I was going to send them book two. I pulled it back. I've sent it to you guys. And thank you for all you did, but I'm not even sure where to go from here. And it broke my heart hearing this from her because here's an artist who has this art that is good. And the predators out there got to her, you know? So it's like that wounded warrior you come across or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, are they still in enough pieces to bandage them up and help them go back to what they were doing or not? And if you don't have anyone else around you that can maybe go, um, hmm, I read on this website that maybe you shouldn't do that, you know, or whatever you want them to say. And that's, I think that's the other thing that's out there. That's a big issue. And it, and why it's important to go to more than one webinar or more than one workshop, what more than one lecture about the same topic, because there's no straight and narrow. There's no like concrete answer to any of the parts to this. Um, I've been a typesetter for over a decade, almost two decades now, and I've worked for individual authors, I've worked for uh, small presses, I've freelanced out to big guys, I've worked at a vanity press myself, and the difference on, on from right to the far left is the spectrum is just ginormous. And if you don't take the time to take advantage of the education that is out there from authors who have walked their own path, find an author that has similar values, who have similar ideas of what success looks like, you're, you're going to have a harder time keeping that hope value up. So I totally agree um, that, yeah, people, people, people break in this industry and they lose hope. And that's yeah. usually the, the, the defining factor. One of the things, and this is a, a shout out to, uh, to Craig and 20 books to 50K, is that um, I think we live in a time where what he's doing is very rare. And what I mean by that is that I consider, I think the, the, um, this is a different kind of predatory. Um, it's the false, the false acclamation and the false encouragement predators out there who are in the who come in guises of like writing, you know, writing focused life coaches or motivational speakers for writers or things like this. And I mean, maybe they, maybe most of them even start with the intent that they're there to help people. But you know, it only takes a few to realize, wow, there, this is something that means a lot to people. They'll part with money. They'll part with food money and rent money. If they think, if they can, it's like, why really why does anybody buy a lottery ticket i mean I, I know i'm sort of i'm wandering far afield here but you want to talk about fantasy now we're talking about fantasy i mean the odds that you're going to win the odds that you're going to win enough for it to make a difference uh are so astronomical but what are you buying with it you're buying the hope that maybe it'll happen and if that if they'll do it for lottery which is just blind luck over which one has no agency for somebody to come along and say, hey, I can teach you how to think about writing and I can teach you how to you know, work through this and I can teach you how to weather the storms and it only costs you 399 for the first 15 pre-recorded sessions and then, you know, what, $100 a week for personal mentorship and blah, and they've got this, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a, a restaurant menu. And I look at that and I say, I'll bet that a lot of those folks really wanna help people, but a lot, probably don't care and there's a huge amount in the middle and they are preying upon extremely, I would say extremely vulnerable individuals. 
The reason I say extremely vulnerable individuals is because as somebody once said, and I think it's really true, if what you want to do is make money, don't be a writer. Be it, doesn't mean, yeah. it doesn't mean that you won't, but, but if you have, if you're as happy doing something else and it's at all valuable, you'll probably make more money at it if you put the same amount of energy in. We don't do this out of greed or avarice or, or, or even, I, I think even, even those who, who think they want, you know, the ones who say, I hate writing, but I love having written. That's a quote from some French author from a long time back. This idea that the fame is somehow going to be worth it. This is an endurance race. And the people who aren't in for the love of it, and because you feel you gotta, it's not a, it's not a, I wanna, it's a have to. And, and it being a have to, when you find an audience of folks who will pay you money to support what they have to do, um, there just aren't, not everybody who sees that is going to say, I see a quick profit there, but I am going to be far too ethical and, and, uh, and responsible and have too much integrity to ever exploit that. Nah, you're going to find, because if, if person X doesn't, Y and Z are waiting right behind and they'll do it. And I think that actually this, because as you all, as, as Erica knows from last time, and, and as you have now, unfortunately come to know, Valerie, um, I, I am now bringing this apparent pointless tangent and digression home, which is that having people such as the ones you both are talking about is the only way to inoculate, I think, against those kinds of predators, not just the, I, I, by the way, completely agree with you regarding critique groups. I have been in, I think only one. Uh, I've taught creative writing in universities many times, but, um, but there's a similar thing. There's a similar dynamic, slightly different in both. And it is that there are people who want to write. And I think, but I think between some combination of fear, reluctance, prior rejection, and a, and a, and a kind of what I will call a, an apathy of courage, uh, which is you can, which you, it's, I sim by which I simply mean, it's really easy to sit there and sort of take pot shots at others. It's a lot harder to get in the pool and swim for yourself. And, and I think that critique groups are potential magnets, unfortunately, and it only takes one or two of those. You could have a dozen people. It, uh, it's, the, it's the classic example of the bad apple. It only takes oh, one yeah. or two to ruin it. And, oh, it does. Uh, and so, and, and so I, this and is- And I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what career you choose, you're always gonna have the bad apples yeah. that are gonna make this a, a challenge. And that's gonna be like your, your come to Jesus moment where you're like, do I want this bad enough that I can overcome those, those obstacles, those hardships? And I think one of the, the craziest things that I come across, especially when I freelance and I work with authors 101, is how many questions they have where, where they're like, well, why would I make one decision over another decision? And they don't understand why those are all options. Like they're trying because there's not enough information that's easy for them to find. Yeah. And I know the answer because I've, I mean, Erica can tell you I'm a research hound. Like I, there's nothing I don't pick apart or figure out how it functions. And then I say, well, how can I make this stronger, better work for me in a way that is that makes more sense because I like being efficient. I like being up to, to, to date, but there's so many practices still in the industry that are 10, 20 years behind. So then it becomes a very confusing landscape for a new author trying to find where they should be standing. Well, I, and I can tell you, I can tell you from, from my standpoint, how very true that is because I am, I have become, uh, I think when, so if it was June of last year, I was in the, in the early parts of season two of my, my imprint, which comes out through uh, Chris Kennedy publications called Beyond Terra. It's connected with the, uh, the Kane um, uh, verse. It's called the, the, the series that's been in there has been the Murphy's Lawless series. And this was how I got my, my feet wet. In, in electronic and, and small press in indie, and I, I think it's 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 a um, it's very much something that I I 
wanted to do, not just because I think it's interesting and I think it's important to have that sort of broad knowledge of your own field, but there's also the issue that I don't know. I don't. If anybody tells can tell you what the fate of publishing is going to be in just even ten or fifteen years, I would say that they're either smoking very strong stuff, or they are too ignorant to know that they that no one does. No sure. one knows. I mean, it's like. Yeah, knock, 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 metaverse. I mean, that wasn't even a word except for maybe in a, in a couple of folks who, who largely probably came in through, through comic books and things like that, which is where the word I think first shows up. Now everybody's using this word. Well, and, and in addition to the fact that it shows the, you know, the tragic failure of imagination, um, I think it also shows that we are we are at the at the verge of where all the lines we thought existed between formats are really getting increasingly blurry and i think i think they are likely to there'll be a lot of false starts but but the, so what i what i was what what you said that made me go to this is that you know it's you see you want to keep up all i have to do i you know i sort of i sort of gave myself a a, a crash course and the things I needed to know about 18 months ago to get started and to not be a complete doofus when it came to to working on the on the electronic side of things, uh, I still I still I don't make any of those decisions. I simply can now ask moderately intelligent questions, and if somebody is trying to shine me on, that I can you can spot somebody shining you on a lot faster and with a lot less Absolutely. ground. Ground if you've at least gotten advice from one good resource, it will, yep. it will expose. It's like someone yeah. turning on a spotlight and you're like, whoa, but, wait. <laughs> but my, my point, uh, which I'm always so hasty in making, um, is that I, I, I come back now and so much has changed again. I mean, I took, I, I had, I took as much time and more than I really could afford given a, a traditional career. I come back, it's like, whoop, but but that's where it's great knowing people in the field because then you can you can you can keep uh, the only reason I can keep a foot in both one both worlds is because I have people I trust in both worlds and I can say I was thinking of this does this make any sense oh yeah actually we're just getting there and the, you know and somebody else will say oh Chuck that's so 2019 you know and so which which should be a joke but see it's not even funny because. 2019 is a long time ago in all this. The joke would have had to have been that's so 2021. <laughs> I, I, I taught a couple of boot camp self-publishing 101, you know, uh, workshops where and and when they asked me to do them, I said, all right, this has got to be like a luncheon and it's going to take up a whole day, or we're going to parse this out over weeks. But the first very first thing I open with is you're going to need to know if you have more time than money or money than time, because it takes one or the other. You're not gonna be able to do this by yourself. So prepare for that. And three, the industry changes every three months. Boom. Yeah. Be aware of these things before you step the, any further. The version of point one that I heard from Mike Resnick, and it's very true. He said, if you can, if you have love, if you have infinite amounts of love, money, and time for a project, there's, you could absolutely do it. No problem. Who could stop? He said, you could, if you have infinite or nearly infinite amounts of two, you can almost certainly do it. But, you know, now we get into it. Look, if we didn't, if we all had as much money as we need, then we would just be doing this whenever we felt like it. So money is clearly part of, it's not an infinite resource. So that means time and love. But that's why time to me is the thing that that's what I find myself contending with mostly. And it's also the thing I talk about with authors when, when they come and they want to ask questions. How much time can you devote to this? I think it's interesting you said the money thing, because I'll tell you, I've talked to authors that have had money, like they were whatever hoopy, doopy, cool, super executive type person and have money to throw at this. I want to be an author. And how they measure success is not being gained by the amount of money they have. Right. Because there is still, for lack of a better way of putting it, a trick to almost every part of this business. There's luck, 
but there is a trick to it. So, you know, you could have a great book. You could have paid really great editors to help you. You could have a great cover. You could have all this stuff that you threw money at, right? But the level of success that you're having is not consummate with the level of money that you're putting into this or where you thought you would be mm -hmm. because that's not all of it. Yeah, no. And speaking on luck, you know, the, I, I read something recently that I would I would say to all your viewers, and it has to do with uh, the notion of talent is important. Uh, it's great if it if the talent is is a gift, uh, but you can you can you can work. You could definitely make yourself better, but determination is very important. And uh, and as I just I read a passage, I believe it was it was by Seneca, who uh, who wrote not the Indian chief obviously. <laughs> But uh, he said, luck is what happens, is, is the, luck is the manifestation of what occurs when preparation meets opportunity. Ooh. You make I your like own your, luck. I like that. Make, luck. make your that. own luck. I like that. Believe it or not, we're nearing the end of this first podcast. I know. Are we shocked? We could talk to Chuck forever. I already know that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm aware. We're going to meet him at Dragon Con some year and go have drinks and be. Are you going this year? Yes, we are. Valerie was a an uh, speaker last year, actually, and so was another. Our lead um, editor also published, and she was invited, but she got COVID. So we're going to see. We're trying. I'm going to be there this year, regardless, even if I have a visitor pass, even if I buy a ticket, I'll be there. But we're going to be there. We're trying to. And as, as far as I know, oh, well, that's something that I guess happened. Two things. First of all, I'll see you there because I have been the uh, Master of Ceremonies for the Dragon Awards for the last two or three live times, three times, I guess now. And I believe they want me back for that. Um, and it was good that I didn't go down this year because if I had, there would have been this little conflict of interest that would have occurred. Oh, what is that? That's a Dragon Award. Ooh. Oh, wow. I won the Dragon Award along with Eric Flint for a book in the 1632 series called nice. uh, No Peace Beyond the Line. Oh, wow. Amazing. So, uh, so that was, um, yeah. I, uh, it's, it's easier not to be a nominee. <laughs> You're also <laughs> going to be the MC. Uh, well, we will definitely make arrangements because we will I see like this that. year, barring anything else dramatic happening in the world. I always hold my breath for... You know, we thought we were in a different place and then it's like, hello, we're going to do a thing now, you know, so crazy. But Val has already been asked back. They loved her speaking and stuff like that. So hopefully all of us will be, well, we'll all be there in some form, yes. even if my form involves just having a visitor pass and being a, a really geeky fan. So we'll see. She'll keep we'll see. us in line. I was there a muck by myself, which was probably dangerous for everyone. <laughs> but I had I had some great, great panels. Um, I I totally fangirled on the werewolves and shifter panel because I'm a big fan of Patricia Briggs and I got to sit next to her and I was like, hi. Val <laughs> <laughs> didn't remember her name. Yeah, and, and Patricia's like, and your name is? And I was like, oh <laughs> forgot. But okay, hold up your book again. Let's hold up the book yes. and then. So this is this is um, this broken world. It is the first book in the um, originally uh, uh, Tony Weisskopf at Bain Book said uh, she bought it as a trilogy. But then I noticed when it came out, it says book one of the Vortex of Worlds series. So apparently uh, it may have uh, more than three in store. Uh, the one that I'm working on right now in the Vortex of Worlds series is uh, Into the Vortex. And the third is uh, Toward the Maw. Oh, ooh. Do you have in mind more than three since they've decided you're doing a series? Uh, there's a, there's a line. Did you leave enough hints for other things? <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the Oceans 11 and Oceans 12? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's the one where the guy who's the bad guy in the first one uh, is is actually now has been, I forget which one is, I forget what his name is. Um, 
But at any rate, he's been recruited as one of the new cons, right? One of the new con artists. And they ask him, are you ready? And he says, he's fixing himself in the mirror. He says, I was born ready. And, and now <laughs> I will say this much. If you give me a series, I have more. <laughs> I, I was born that. ready to be able to deliver more stories. I love that. And that's what every author's motto should be. Yeah. That's what every author's motto should be. Okay, Chuck, how do people find your books and you to interact with you, but on a fan level? Um, on, well, and, and I, I, yeah, it's, it's I, I tend to think of people as readers, um, although that's not all that they are anymore, but the, you know, fan coming from fanatic and things like that. I, I Okay, I, so the reader yeah. level. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, no. And I, I, was, I was going there because despite the fact there's also, uh, my group page is nonetheless called the Fan Society, um, but it's uh, the Kane, uh, Kane verse, which is now what the Kane books are called. Okay, fine. You know, when you decide to actually take the, the name of my protagonist and make it the, and, and make it the, the term whereby you refer to the entirety of the brand, who am I to argue, no matter how it sounds? No, um, no, but, just uh, go with so, uh, That's a bucket list uh, item for authors. Look at, look, uh, go to Facebook and either look under my name, Chuck Gannon, um, which is, I'm Charles V, you'll notice on the covers, but I go by Chuck on Facebook. Uh, and also the just look under Kane Reorden or Kaneverse, and you will get to the group page. And that's where I am most of the time. I do have a web page. I'm discovering, I wonder if it's the same thing with you, that web pages, which were all the rage, you had to have one 10 years ago. The, the kind of traffic with social media being what it is, web page traffic just seems like it's a, it's almost more of an archive site. It's like, if you want yeah, they go the there extended to find biography other. of me, go there. It's almost like that. Well, that's what it should be used for in newsletter. That's all it should be used for. So if people want to sign up and hear from you regularly, they go to your webpage, sign up to your newsletter, and you post from that. Yeah. That's really because newsletters are actually as amazingly archaic as we think they are. Oh. They're not. No. Oh. As a matter of fact, I think the 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 thing about I went away from I I looked at Twitter, gave it up. Um, news newsletters or mailing lists. Um, the, if what, what I found is that it can be hard to get people on them. No, once you have them, you have them. Once you have them, you have them, particularly if what you're doing is you're not doing a promo where if, okay, you can enter this raffle, but if you do, then you're giving me permission to use your email that you can get a lot of people on your email list, but the quality of those leads is incredibly dubious. Yeah. I, my my when I send to my mailing list, I I have about sixty percent hit. I have to sometimes do it a second do a second time because of spam filters and whatnot. But I would rather have you know high three digits or low four digits with sixty percent participation than mid range four digits to five digits with more churn than I can keep track of because I don't because then I don't even know what what my what is my target who am I talking to. Um, so I'm so those are the places to get me uh, online uh, this year in terms of cons. Uh, if anybody is going to uh, fantasize in South Carolina, I am a special guest there. If I if you're going to um, Liberty Con, I'm there. If you're going to uh, Dragon Con, I am a guest every year there. Uh, if you're going to um, I'm forgetting one here. Oh, um, uh, Con Carolinas. I'm the writer guest of honor there. And I just the other day got invited and accepted as the guest of honor Toastmaster for FenCon in uh, Irving, Texas. So that's very cool. So right. people can find you. You're going out and about. You're exploring the world in this I'm not even going to say post COVID because we're, we're just now going, fuck, this is where we live. So, uh, <laughs> so I feel like we're approaching it this now we're like, you know what? It's going to happen. We're going outside. It's we're cold. not post COVID. We're screw COVID. That's where we are. Yes, I agree. Chuck, thank you again for being on the podcast with us. This has been amazing. You are yes. so much fun every time you're here. I, I love being here. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. 
I've been your host, Erica Williams. Our sponsor today, watch me pull this off out. Got oh. better at this. this oh, man, look how much lower that bottle is. Shut up. DWA10 is the coupon code if you want to try all of their amazing stuff. Local source, veteran, a very cool company. My co-host today is Valerie Willis. And our amazing guest has been Chuck Gannon again. Thank you again so much for being here. Thank you for having me back. And to all you writers out there, um, Kind of yourself. Very, very cool. We will see you guys next time.